Here we go. The official show on the Fist Stripes podcast channel. I'm Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fist Stripes, where we cover the Miami Marlins every day in our own way. This show presented by our partners at Symbol, the stock market for sports. Coming off a week where we dedicated this podcast feed and this time slot to the minor league side, earning their stripes. Those two episodes, two interviews are still up there on our pod feed. Wherever you subscribe to us, be sure to check them out if you haven't already. Rate and review the pod on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Thank you in advance. Uh, A brief note about this current episode where I was delayed by a few minutes because I was locked in to the game in progress from the high A Beloit Snappers, started by Antonio Velez with Evan Brabant coming in in relief. And together, they entered the ninth inning with a perfect game intact. It was just two outs away from getting to the mountaintop. And then Quad City's prospect, John Rave, singled against Brabant to break it up. On the other side of the equation for them, shout out to Troy Johnston, the slugging first baseman outfielder who is... He scored the first run of this game. He incited a rally in the bottom of the eighth that really allowed them to pour it on. He's now hitting 351 for the minor league season. It's his first full minor league season. He was a 17th round draft pick of the Marlins back in 2019. And there's really no other way to, to slice it that he is the front runner for Marlins minor league player of the year honors to this point. Nearly two months into the minor league season, not quite at the halfway mark halfway mark yet, but nobody can really keep pace with this guy, either in the Marlins organization or really. There's very few guys across the entire minor leagues who are hitting as consistently as he is, especially in run-producing situations. He has been healthy, fingers crossed, that it stays that way. Enormously impressive. So shout out to Troy Johnston. I'm sure you'll be hearing more about him as this summer progresses. Um, switching back to the major league side, I was thinking of focusing this episode on Sandy Alcantara, kind of an appreciation pod about Sandy and how great he's been entering his start on Sunday, a matchup with Max Scherzer, uh, got a lot of eyeballs on him. And based on how he's been pitching throughout most of the month of June, I, I, this was a big case uh, opportunity for him to kind of jump back into the all-star game conversation which is still about a week and a half until they finally make those decisions about the pitchers that will be involved on the all-star team. Um, instead, uh, as you know, he, he looked kind of shaky from the jump, um, remarkably held the Nationals to just one run through the first five innings, and then in it, things really blew up in his face in the sixth inning. Uh, digging a little deeper into that performance and then also putting in, into perspective how he'd been using his pitches the previous couple times out, um, I made a switch, and we'll be talking about Sandy, but we'll also be talking about two other Marlins pitchers, so three pitchers overall on this team that I feel have been most significantly impacted by this week in baseball where the substances checks have been put into play, where Major League Baseball umpires every single game checking these pitchers for what they consider banned substances, and no Marlins have been caught, but I feel there have been some ripple effects that are worth diving into a little bit. 
First, some takeaways from the last three games overall, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, so the Marlins, after losing the series opener on Thursday to the Nats, they take two out of three the rest of the weekend to split the four-game set, and they now stand at 33 and 44 overall. As somebody brought to my attention on Twitter, skeptic fish fan, thank you for this. The Marlins are on pace for 69 wins for this season, despite their positive run differential. Individuals who stood out from this weekend, you need to start with Zach Thompson. He pitched on Saturday, got the win, career highs across the board for him, where he wasn't even fully stretched out as a starter a few weeks ago when the Marlins called him up in Boston. This was his fourth straight game against a pretty tough lineup on paper. He faced Boston, he's faced the Cubs, he's faced the Braves, and now here facing the Nationals, who had been one of the hottest offenses in baseball uh, in the couple weeks leading up to this matchup. Thompson goes six terrific innings. He strikes out 11, something that no Marlins pitcher had done since 2019. And that's saying a lot because we know how much talent this Marlins rotation has had the past couple seasons. Even the two runs that he allowed, both technically earned, but on shaky defensive plays in the outfield, plays that probably should have been made better by Jesus Sanchez and also one by Starling Marte, Marlon Marte, in a few moments that contributed to the runs even when including that, just a great outing from him. 1-2, and he gets Soto to swing and a miss. A little bit more, and it's all good. He did it again to Bell, same way. Two balls, two strikes, and a swing and a miss. Zach Thompson, 11 strikeouts, a season high for the Marlins this year. What a day. The Zach attack. What stood out most is his curveball. Prior to this, I mean, his most successful pitch had been the cutter, which he had shown an ability to really locate well and get some late break on, swings and misses, and he complemented that in this outing with that curveball, responsible for seven of those 11 strikeouts, so consistently keeping it at the knees or below, and that worked two different ways. It worked ways in that he was able to steal a lot of strikes um, in both early in the count and also went back to it in two strike situations to get strikeouts looking at he was consistently at the knees or below the knees where of course you can get chases below the zone provided that you're ahead in the count in the first place a remarkable job from him still so humble still so um low profile because he was a minor league signing this offseason, someone who did, did not pitch particularly well in AAA before his call-up, and even then he was not a high priority for their AAA affiliate, gets forced into action, of course, by all the injuries on the Marlins rotation and some underperformance by the guys with more prospect pedigree. He has seized this opportunity, now has a 2.00 ERA, only allowing one base runner per inning to this point, and now he's shown what was so critical about this game is the length that he showed, that he got stretched out to like 91 pitches they start going a third time through the order that's he is making himself we already focused on Thompson quite a bit on um I guess one of the pods a week and a half ago or two weeks ago that's that he's going to be a very important piece to this team the rest of the season they'll have to see if they have something legit in Thompson and the fact that he could have his curveball working like this we already recognize start after start after start that his cutter is a legitimate major league quality pitch if not an above average pitch at least an average major league pitch and now this this next wrinkle on top of that very impressive by Thompson Jesus Sanchez we now get a longer look at him credit to Don Mattingly playing Sanchez almost every single day since his call-up and starting him in left field which is not his most comfortable defensive positions where we have seen a couple odd plays from him 
out there that will take some time to adjust to. He's more or less the guy that I thought he would be. Um, I mean, I just kind of blurted out some statistical projections for him when they called him up uh, a couple weeks ago, thinking that he'd be relatively low on base guy, a slightly above average power guy. That's kind of what's playing out, where he has his OPS just a shade under 700, a little bit under league average to this point, but a couple very impressive home runs. Really one home run that was one of the longest we've seen by any Marlins player this season. Also has a lot of really hard hit balls in addition to the ones that actually go over the wall itself. He does chase a lot out of the zone, uh, not as much discipline as you'd like to see, and that's going to be really the biggest thing for him moving forward is his approach and whether he's able to realize how he's being pitched to, take the walks when the walks are there for him. He did draw one walk on Sunday. Yeah, the overall numbers are meh, but the call-up with him was never about the immediacy anyway. It was always about getting his feet wet, watching him on an everyday basis against lefties, against righties, against uh, Cy Young caliber pitchers, against scrubs, and see how he handles all these different situations so that you can better approach how to fill this outfield in 2022 or beyond. You need to figure out whether he is going to be part of that or not, as he is uh, running out of minor league options despite his relatively young age. So overall, kind of what I'd, we expected of him, which is kind of a step up from a lot of these other hitting prospects who've come up the past couple of years, right? For the most part, those guys have fallen short of expectations, not been the guys that we wanted them to be. Um, and Sanchez at least looks like he belongs, even though not, not showing himself to be a star to this point, somebody that will, just like Thompson, someone to closely monitor the rest of this season. And on the downside, Starling Marte, Oh, for his last 15 as of this recording, it's the first time since like the second day of the season that he finished a game with his batting average below the 300 mark. <gasps> Gasp. Uh, we've talked about Marte, of course, a ton here on Fish Tribes, especially throughout like the last month and about the, the prospect of extending his contract and bringing him back for years to come. Um, this slump is, I guess, his worst of the year to this point, although you still look at his overall numbers, and he has a 148 weighted runs created plus, 48% better than league average, absolutely outstanding. He's still having an all-star caliber season if only he'd been healthy throughout this entire first half of the year. I don't think we were ever under the delusion that he would you know, keep up being the best hitter in the league for the entire season. Um, in fact, I would expect that WRC Plus to dip a little bit more before we get to the end of the year, and there's no reason to panic about that. He just has a long track record of being a very good hitter and not a, a superstar, yet that would still be such a critical piece of the Marlins long term. Something to monitor because it's still, that's only like a four game sample of that mini slump that he's currently in. And even during that time, he's been drawing his walks. That's what I've emphasized is the really exciting aspect of Marte's season above all else is that he has better plate discipline than ever. That he's a guy that understands that he's being feared by other teams and he's willing to take his walks and put his great base running into effect once he gets on base. The official show is brought to you by Symbol, the stock market for sports. Symbol allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. It's a huge week for our guys over there at Symbol on July 1st on Thursday. That's when those college football teams come on the market. Those finally get those initial offerings for so many of the biggest college football teams out there, and you can begin trading them in the same way that you trade MLB, NFL, and NBA teams. Join more than 2,500 early adopters who have already started to invest with Symbol. Symbol.app. 
www.simbull.app. Go there to create your free account. When you make that first deposit, no matter who, what you spend it on, you want to give yourself funds in the first place for building your portfolio, use the promo code FISTRIPES and you get a $10 deposit bonus to use on your investments. The current Sim Marlins share price is $29.14. Symbol.app, promo code FISTRIPES, all one word, for a $10 deposit bonus. Invest in what you know, invest in sports with Symbol. For the rest of the show, we turn our attention to Major League Baseball's sticky stuff situation. We've had now one full week of enforcement about the sticky stuff. Pitchers allowed to use rosin, as they always have been, but presumably nothing else. That's the that's the plan from baseball, as communicated to the players themselves a couple weeks ago. It's been a fascinating storyline to follow because, frankly, a lot of us weren't thinking about this even a couple months ago about the impact that sticky stuff was having on the game that we've been watching and the style of play that baseball has had through almost the entire week. We made it through 600-something individual pitchers across the 30 teams that were getting checked, you know, at least once an outing. Starters actually getting checked twice an outing, or in the case of Max Scherzer, in that very famous clip against the Phillies, he was checked three times during his start. Uh, They checked the first 600-something pitchers, and... Everybody came back clean. Everybody passed the the test that the umpires conducted. And finally, on Sunday afternoon, left-hander Hector Santiago of the Seattle Mariners gets busted. He gets his glove confiscated. He gets ejected from the game for the Mariners. Uh, and I think the expectation is that he will be suspended, I guess, like following up on an analysis of what was on his glove that the umpire didn't like. Um, he spoke to the media afterwards, and his alibi was that he was only using rosin, that he wasn't doing anything unusual, but that he put the rosin, this is quoting him, what they told me it was you can't use rosin on the glove hand. When I use rosin, I dab on both sides. The umpire said you couldn't use it on the glove hand, and that's why he got in trouble for it. So wait to see whether or not he actually gets punished for it. He is the first guy as of this recording to get busted for it. And even though this has been going on in every single major league game, um, I always defer to Enosaurus now of The Athletic when it comes to spin rate topics. He's been on this for years. He's been ahead of this about the the impact that it could have on baseball. Um, And so I'll be referencing him in just a few moments as we turn to the Marlins. Marlins haven't had anybody busted yet. And even entering this week, I think there was cautious optimism that they wouldn't really be impacted by it. You get nervous because the Marlins are, as Kim Ang even admits herself, they are a pitching-first organization. They have been throughout every stage of this rebuild. Um, It's been a legitimate strength, especially this year. We've reached a point here in 2021 where it's not just, you know, a decent pitching staff, but it is one of the better pitching staffs in baseball, any way you slice it. I know people are frustrated by how the bullpen has done in some close games, so maybe they're not quite as good as the ERA would suggest, but the starting pitching, and of course, all the focus on the top of their rotation being Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, and Trevor Rogers, they've been fantastic. Anytime that baseball is going to make a change to the way that pitchers are allowed to pitch, it it would make you nervous, kind of understandably, about how that would go, what kind of impact it would have on these guys, and whether it would change their effectiveness. Maybe they're not quite the same players we thought they were because of 
how this widespread use of banned substances, some of them as innocuous as sunscreen, others as uh, really performance enhancing as spider tack can be when applied uh, in copious amounts. We made it through the first week. Didn't seem that Marlins pitchers had really any issues with the enforcement. There weren't aside from the like standard awkwardness of being quote inspected while you're on the field in front of everybody wasn't really any drama around any of the checks that were performed uh, during their games there were three particular pitchers that, that did stand out to me by how they how they did this week and potentially drawing some correlations between the changes in the rules and the way that they performed uh, this one was actually going back all the way to Thursday Cody Poteet who was a nice story his first few starts in the majors, um, in some ways, kind of uh, almost an unprecedented start for a Marlins pitcher that was called up, especially someone like him who had been a farmhand for like five, six years and just did not draw a whole lot of attention. We didn't think he, he was good enough, that his stuff was interesting enough to play in the major leagues. And to our surprise, it did. He got that minor injury. He came back from the minor injury. Uh, all things considered, it looked all right in his first start back. There was some natural rustiness. And then in this outing against the Nationals on Thursday, he was terrible. Definitely his worst outing as a major leaguer. Only makes it through three innings. And what stood out about him was his spin rate. I mean, that's the main thing that gets impacted when you're not using any sort of sticky stuff uh, on your stu- on your fingers is that depending on how you apply it, you don't get as much spin rate as is measured by StatCast and as is available to us publicly on Baseball Savant. That's a great tool to use. And when it doesn't have the same spin rate, it doesn't have the same movement. So hitters are have a better chance of making contact against you and making firm contact against you. With Poteet, I mean, almost everything went wrong. Uh, not just hit hard, but he was just struggling to throw strikes uh, to begin with, with all of his pitches. He used his full complement of pitches, and every single pitch was down really noticeably in terms of spin rate. All of them ranging from like 150 revolutions per minute to like 280. Uh, compared to just his previous start. It, they were down compared to his season averages, but what was a really stark contrast is that it was down compared to what they had been just a few days ago in his first start off the injured list. That first start, keep in mind, that was on June 18th, and these new rules went into effect officially on the field on June 21st, a few days later. This is his first outing since he was actually being inspected on the field. Uh, he did not perform like his usual self, and we have to wonder whether he prepared for the start differently, um, knowing that because he was unable to do some of the things he was accustomed to doing uh, so far as a major leaguer. The one, the ones I wanted to dive into a little bit more because wait to see on Poteet. He's still in the rotation for now. We'll have a chance to avenge himself. The two really like the biggest stars on the Marlins pitching staff this year have been Anthony Bender and Sandy Alcantara, and you know how much I adore. Bender, man, um, to this point, still a nearly flawless year. A couple inherited runners that he let score early on this year, a couple unearned runs as well, but he enters this new week nearly two months into his major league career with a 0.00 earned run average. It is tied for the fifth longest uh, unearned runness streak, uh, sloppy, you know, zero ERA streak um, of all time to begin somebody's career. He's been, you know who he is. He's a two-pitch guy for the most part with a sinker and a slider, occasionally uses a four-seamer. To this point, he just piles up the strikeouts, he piles up the ground balls, and he really attacks the zone. It's been such a feel-good story for someone that was really off the grid 
And it's just been great to see him emerge like this as someone that could potentially be part of this Marlins bullpen for years to come. But he made two appearances this week with these new rules into effect. He, as usual, got the job done. Um, He pitched two scoreless innings, one each of those outings. He pitched on back-to-back days and and got scoreless innings in both of them including the uh, the second one on Saturday, was a really high leverage situation, getting the seventh inning with just a one-run lead. Um, as Don Mattingly kind of admitted post-game, he preferred Bender over Anthony Bass in that situation. I don't know what took so long. I've been kind of nudging Mattingly in that direction for a while to make Bender like the true bona fide setup man and consistently get these opportunities. Better late than never, Bender got that opportunity and pitched a scoreless inning to help preserve the win. What stood out from those two outings were his spin rates, as we noticed on Baseball Savant. It's all out there that his slider in particular had its lowest spin rate of the entire season. He's been well above the major league average in that category prior to this week, and now that that stuff came down um, based on his season average, almost 200 revolutions per minute, and it was about the same in both of these outings, uh, lower than it had ever been in any of his games previously up in the majors. Um, his velocity was still fine, and as I said, his bottom line results were fine. He didn't allow any runs, but he also didn't get any strikeouts. That was seven total batters that he faced on his appearances Friday and Saturday, zero strikeouts. It's a, such a small sample, but when you look at the rest of the season that he's had, he has never had a stretch like that. He hasn't had a stretch where he faces seven batters and doesn't get a strikeout. That's the kind of ridiculous standard that he has set for himself uh, so far in his nearly perfect rookie year. Uh, going back to Enosaurus, he he's someone that has said on The Athletic, quote, the effect of spin on strikeout rate for at-bats ending with a four-seam and a slider are severely affected by how much spin is on the ball. Lowest spin that he's had on a slider all year, uh, zero strikeouts and back-to-back outings, which had not been the case at all for him at any other point of the season. I don't know. Maybe it's more than a coincidence with Bender that it played out like that. He'll be a key guy to follow. Uh, He did get the results that he was looking for with those pitches. The velocity is still great. And, I mean, one of the bigger factors, almost as important as his stuff, is his commands and his ability to throw strikes. He's been throwing a ton of strikes this entire year. So if that keeps up, he's going to have a chance to still be great. For most of this segment, we want to focus on Sandy, because Sandy is the one who, with all due respect to Bender, Sandy is the one that is one of the faces of this organization already, the one that is arbitration eligible next year, the one that is having a terrific season, even including this latest outing on Sunday, and someone that they have to make a very interesting decision about probably within the next like year and a half in terms of whether or not he's part of their long-term future. Is he a guy that they want to consider for a contract extension before those arbitration years kick in? Do they want to like extend their year, his years of control through his prime and consider him the ace of their team through most of this decade? You know, that opportunity is on the table. That's an idea that has come up a lot these the first few months of the season. He's having he was an all-star in 2019, but I think by every measure, he's pitching better this year than ever. He is at the top of his game. He has the most innings pitched in Major League Baseball this year. And I mean, of all the things with Sandy, the one that does stick out the most is his durability. So no matter what is going on with the sticky substance enforcement, as long as his mechanics stay the same, as long as his work ethic stays the same, and 
he's durable, he's going to be enormously valuable to the team. So I'll put that out front. That being said, some things stuck out to me about this most recent outing. You could tell from the jump that he just was not particularly sharp. His, uh, his fastball velocity was down a little bit, as were his other pitches. He did say after the game that he was feeling a little bit under the weather in this game, and yet made his scheduled start anyway. I think that checks out. That That's really the easiest thing you could point to in terms of his lack of velocity and his lack of command, that he was constantly missing over the middle of the plate in this one. He paid for it. Uh, early on, you could see he was, he was getting in trouble, and it I mean, it really impressed me that he made it through five pretty efficient innings with the stuff that he had, which just was not very good. It was arguably his worst pure stuff of the season, even worse than that Dodgers game, in my opinion, that his stuff just was not there, was not fooling anybody. When I dug through his pitch usage from this game, what sticks out is that he barely used his four-seam fastball. He's a guy that is most notable for his sinker and I guess here in 2021, what stands out about him reaching his, bringing his game to a higher level is his changeup, which is all of a sudden he throws it harder than ever and it's getting more break than ever and plays really well off of his fastball. But his four seamer is a consistent part of his pitch mix as well. He alternates between the sinker and the four seam, uses them in different parts of the zone. They serve different purposes because of the movement that they get, even though the velocity on those pitches are pretty similar in the high 90s. He only threw seven four seam fastballs in this game out of, what, 80 something total pitches? Let's see what the number was 90 total pitches, only seven fastballs. And I was surprised to notice, I had not noticed this before, that also his previous two starts, he has even used his fastball, his four-seamer, even less than that. So seven four-seamers used on Sunday's most recent start. The start before that, he threw only one during that complete game effort. Um, was that a complete game effort that he just had? So he had the complete game effort two starts ago. He had the eight strong innings against Toronto one start ago. The pitcher who has been the last couple of years, he's shifted more towards that sinker instead of the four-seamer. But yet, he's never had a stretch like this, is the bottom line. Three straight starts where he threw just single-digit numbers of his four-seam fastball. And the key here is the dates. So his last three starts, those dates are June 16th, June 22nd, and June 27th. This timeline is important because the players reportedly were notified by, about uh, the MLB memo went out to the Players Association on June 13th about the specifics of this crackdown on banned substances, and then it was publicly announced to everybody on June 15th. One day later, Stan Sandy starts on June 16th. He has a great outing against the Cardinals, but in that great outing, he barely uses that four-seam fastball. Only used it three times in a complete game. He only threw three four-seamers, only one in the start after that. His most recent start, only seven. So I have a theory. Um, I don't know exactly what Sandy was using. I did notice that his spin rate, um, especially these last two starts on that pitch, it's noticeably lower he'll have to make a very interesting adjustment. And so this is nothing new for Sandy. I mean, Sandy's ascent to being what he is right now as, you know, a borderline all-star, as being the most durable pitcher in the league and one of the more consistent ones, uh, this most recent start notwithstanding, he's shown the ability to make adjustments, which means that I don't think any one like condition like this about using nothing on your fingers moving forward, I don't think that will derail his career. This is nothing too dramatic to think about. But it could be the cue for him to make this adjustment where he's already, um, uh, you know, you wonder why um, 
He has stopped using that forcing fastball almost entirely, going instead with his sinker, and he's been successful that way a, a couple starts in a row prior to this most recent one. But it is a noticeable piece of his pitch mix that is no longer there um, by his own choice. Is a pitch he's been using about 20% of the time um, through the middle of June, and now he's barely using it at all. So that will create an interesting adjustment. I'm sure his opponents will pick up on that, know that they don't have to, they can cheat a little bit on his other pitches, knowing that the four seamer is very rarely being used. And instead, it makes him, you know, more real. They can anticipate the sinker's movements and his secondary pitches. It's a fascinating adjustment period for Sandy. Uh, maybe it's nothing. I'm not saying anything definitive other than that the timing of this, of this transition into being a full-on sinker guy is, the timing of it is very particular and coincides very interesting with uh, this news around baseball about the crackdown in sticky stuff. This was just one week into the adventure. Now that they caught a guy, that's the key. They caught a guy in Hector Santiago of the Mariners. I was speculating on a Marlins barbecue last week. Listen to that if you haven't already. That if they didn't catch anybody in baseball for a few weeks or even through the first month of the program, then uh, it would make the, the league look pretty bad. It would make them potentially consider ditching the inspections altogether if they weren't catching anybody, that something was going wrong. Now that somebody did get caught... Uh, I mean, that's really kind of all you need to justify continuing to do this indefinitely around baseball. There's just so much at stake with Sandy because of what he's already accomplished in his young career, what he means to this organization, how much that they would have to potentially invest in him if they did want to extend his team control beyond what they currently have. Uh, They'll have to be watching him very closely and how he adjusts the rest of the season. He's made these adjustments before, so I'm I'm not too concerned about it. But I just wanted to draw that to your attention because I myself had barely noticed this trend the past few games about him deviating away, like going away from his four-seamer usage. But it does make him a slightly different pitcher, and I am curious to see where he goes from here. This has been Eli Sussman with the official show. Thank you very much for listening. A couple programming notes. We're, we're winding down another month of the Fish Picks contest, our prop bets contest that's open for every Marlins game. You can play every single day. The link is right at the top of our website on the, on the top bar at the top of the page. And we also have it embedded uh, if you scroll down just a tiny bit on the homepage as well with the logo of our contest sponsor, 305 Candles, the points leader at the end of this month and every month going forward, they win a 305 Cafecito Candle from 305 Candles. Of course, on start of the new series against the Phillies on Tuesday, we will have our Fish Stripes Live pre-series series preview show on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube an hour prior to that game. We'll have our small pods here on the same podcast feed on Tuesday through Friday mornings. And uh, I should have a special guest on the podcast that I do on the official show later on this week. So stay tuned for that as well. Appreciate everything. As always, go fish. Go fish.